background smelling sweet. Hello and welcome to Molly Please official list of the top movies of 2019. I can't call it Top 10 Thursdays anymore because we retired that, but this is what we're doing. We're going to take uh, all the movies that made our individual uh, Top 10s, and we're going to combine it into one official Top 10 for the whole blog. And who's that we I keep talking about? Well, it's Sean Lemmy. John Otney. And Colin Westman. And uh, we picked an interesting week to do this, guys. I Just by pure coincidence, we did our own Top 10s the same uh, week that the Oscar nominations came out. Did that affect your list-making process at all? No. Did it for you? Mm, not really. I don't think so. I had already made my list. I just printed it, basically. Did a write-up. Which I felt bad about, too, because, I, <laughs> because I've had a very busy uh, December and January and uh, hadn't gotten to see a lot of uh, the the late in the year releases that I would have normally gotten to spend time with um, it felt weird because usually usually these cold boring months are well not December's not boring but January for me is usually all about just media consumption and I haven't gotten to do that this year yet um, so there are even on this list a few movies that I haven't seen yet which bums me out I try not to let that happen but uh, as our friend Nancy says, it is what it is. <laughs> but the, the the Oscars, though, it's they're definitely in my head a little bit. I'm feeling insecure, especially seeing Joker lead the nomination pack. That's freaking me out. Eleven nominations. That's a lot of nominations. I don't think any movies last year had that many nominations. I think there's two that had ten nominations, but that's eleven. Eleven, and the most ever is thirteen, right? Yes. Yeah, for Return of the King. Yeah, I feel like there's one other movie that also has gotten 13. Titanic or something? Maybe, or maybe an older one. But yeah, 11 is quite a, quite a few. Oh boy. Joker did not make it onto anyone's list. But one thing about Joker. Don't you think it would be a good thing? Think, think about it like this. If Joker wins Best Picture, <laughs> yeah. won't that make it less cool? Is I it feel like cool when a movie though? wins Best Picture, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think it's cool. I think with the nerds, it's cool. Okay. And I, I think those people are just going to consider it validation. I don't think there's yeah. any sort of uh, self-correcting. I think the more popular it is, the, the happier they are, even though that's not the hipster code. I just don't feel like it's a hipster movie, though. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a superhero not. movie, but it's like a superhero movie for nerds that think they're a little cooler than the average guys who nerd out over superhero movies. It's really... Did you ever even end up seeing Joker? Didn't Cole? see it. Didn't have any interest. I still don't really have any interest. I've never been someone who feels obligated to see all of the Best Picture nominees. I feel like I haven't seen almost half of them this year like i didn't see jojo rabbit i didn't see uh ford versus ferrari i'm okay with that that's sort of been my mindset too i i think it's more of a uh i don't know you feel complete i guess having seen all the best picture nominations but yeah it I mean, I'll, I'll do it if, every year. I'll do it if there's like one or two I haven't seen. I remember a couple of years ago, I really only had to see whatever that 
Winston Churchill movie was in order to have seen all of them. <laughs> what was uh, that called? called? The Darkest Hour, right? The Darkest, Darkest Hour. Because it's also the finest hours. Well, there is already a movie the called hour. The Darkest Hour with Emile Hirsch. It's so confusing. Okay, <laughs> one last thing about Joker. So I was at the store the other day. Yeah. And had some ice cream, right? Uh-huh. And it was Joker ice cream. But it was like the old school Joker. But still, it was called Chocolate Mint Madness. <laughs> <laughs> and it had the Joker on it. And it had little haws in it that were, you could eat. <gasps> that sounds great. This is my favorite Joker property I've heard of thus far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many Oscars did that get nominated for? I just had to share that. I have to get all this Joker stuff off. Do you think the Joker stuff will affect the imminent release of Harley Quinn, yada, 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 yada? The Birds Ooh, of Prey movie? No, I think uh, maybe there could be like a post-credits thing where they hint at the Joker coming back, but you don't know like which Joker or what's going yeah, on. <laughs> and Jared Leto's already moved on. He's making Morbius. That's got a trailer now. Oh my God. Did you guys see the trailer for Morbius? Mm-hmm. No. He's like, uh, he's just a vampire. It, it's going to be a hit. That was my takeaway from that trailer. That thing's going to make money. He's just is like all a, scrawny and sickly. Yeah, go ahead. Is it a superhero thing? Yeah. He, well, I mean, that's what they're turning it into. He's a super villain. But he's this frail, sickly guy who then, I don't know, touches some sort of artifact and it makes him like super ripped and super hot. <laughs> and the weird thing is, also, Michael Keaton is in it. I think... I think he's supposed to be the vulture. As the vulture, yeah. Weird. Big reveal. So that's all connected now. <sighs> I hate it. Yeah, it fucking sucks. <laughs> but if it's connected to Spider-Man, that doesn't necessarily mean it's connected to Venom yet. When are they going to bridge those together? Maybe in this movie. I don't know. There's only. I mean, there's. Oh, you're only going to learn so much from the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> They're setting it all up. And then, a, and then next year, Morbius will be nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, after it makes a billion dollars at the box office. Alright. Okay, so uh, 2019, though. Do you guys think this is a pretty good year for movies? The fact that I was able to easily make a top 10, uh, a top 15, actually, and then I have a, a list of like 10 other movies I think I really need to see uh, indicates to me it was a pretty good year for movies. And I was looking at our most anticipated from 2019 compared to our most anticipated from 2018. And I feel like I can draw from those numbers. This was very clearly a much better year than 2018 for movies. Because <laughs> I was looking, um, and for people that know what I'm talking about, every year we do a, a most anticipated movies podcast where Sean and I do our top 10 most anticipated movies. Call this least anticipated. Mm -hmm. And I saw that in 2018, I only saw six of my movies, and Sean, I think you only saw five of your movies. I don't think you saw your ten through six. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of gambles on there. I mean, you could still go see, uh, what the fuck was that King movie? Outlaw King? You can watch oh, that anytime yeah. you want. That's a Netflix movie. Well, I don't know. Maybe, you, did you see any of these, Sean? These are on your 2018 anticipated. Maybe, right, just make sure I got my numbers right. Holmes and Watson? No. <laughs> Vice? Nope. The Predator? Nope. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Which ended up coming out this year, so no. Nope. And Outlaw King, yeah. And I had a lot of movies that I didn't see. I never saw Old Man of the Gun. I never saw Under the Silver Lake. Uh, Wendy still isn't out. It's coming out in 2020. Uh, Mid-90s, I didn't see. And there's like a lot of stuff on my list from 2018 that's like 
Slice with Chance the Rapper, eh, wasn't that good. Psychokinesis, eh, wasn't that good. But then what I find interesting is how many of Colin's um, least anticipated we saw that year. And between Sean and I, we saw seven of Colin's <laughs> least anticipated movies. Now, granted, a few of those turned out to be okay, but still, like when you're seeing more of the bad movies than the movies you think are good, you got to question how good that year is for movies. That's troubling, yeah. Whereas I look at for 2019, and Sean and I both saw nine out of the ten films that are most anticipated. We're both just short one, and I know, Sean, yours is Little Women, which you very much want to see. Just I want to see that. And uh, for Colin's least anticipated, between you and I, we've only seen three. Of well, wait, what's the one you didn't see from your anticipated list? Uh, scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Because oh. the problem was, it came out in August, and for some reason, it just wasn't a good time for me. And then the Blu-ray came out in November. I'm like, well, And the movie's set on Halloween. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't watch this now. I'm not going to watch a movie set on <laughs> Halloween in November. Yeah, The window closed. I am glad that I was able to call Cats on my least anticipated movies list, even though I... I think I far <laughs> underestimated what a train wreck it would be. Yeah, well, I think you really nailed it on your least anticipated for 2019. Yeah. Most of these were uh, pretty bad. I think I put Rocket Man higher than it probably should have been, but whatever. I was I just, just saw annoyed that, yeah, by Bohemian a couple days Rhapsody. Ago, yeah, it was it was fine. It was way better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, it's what Bohemian Rhapsody was afraid to be, which is more accurate and very gay but here after he was like the pg version of the same kind of story yeah so okay one last thing and then we can start this list that was that fucking blew my mind oh. so uh elton john's like early uh, i'm not sure i don't I'm not sure if it was his manager for his whole career i think it may have just been the first half of his career it was this guy named john reed right and they kind of had an affair too like um with each other and john reed um in Rocket Man is played by Richard Madden from Game of Thrones, Rob Stark. Mm-hmm. That same character, John Reed, was also the manager for Queen. <laughs> really? <laughs> and he's in Bohemian Rhapsody, and he's played by um, Aidan Gillen. Littlefinger, another from, Game of from Thrones. Game guy. of Thrones. And what's so weird is the Richard Madden version of John Reed is manipulative. He's a horrible person. Mm-hmm. But then the Aidan Gillen version is like. I'm the only thing keeping you guys together. I'm like the best. <laughs> it's like, now is John Reed, is this really how he acted with both of his different acts or what's going on here? It makes me think that the Bohemian Rhapsody version of John Reed is probably a, a lot of bullshit. Just because Elton John I, had fairly close involvement with Rocket Man, and granted Queen did with Bohemian Rhapsody as well, but I feel like since a lot of aspects of Rocket Man make Elton John's life look a lot worse makes it feel like it's a lot more accurate because he's showing you the darker stuff whereas Bohemian Rhapsody it's like nothing happens to Brian May in Bohemian Rhapsody he's fine (laughs) but Freddie Mercury's a fucking mess they could throw it all on him because he's dead just saying it's a weird it's a weird connection and it makes me feel like Bohemian Rhapsody is giving us even less of the truth (laughs) if I didn't have enough reasons to dislike Bohemian Rhapsody but, sorry, Bohemian Rhapsody got nominated for like a million Oscars. How many mm-hmm. Oscars did Rocket Man get nominated for? I have no idea. One song. <laughs> not even it Best plays, Actor? Not even Best didn't Actor. Did he win Best he Actor at the Golden the Globes? He won the comedy musical category. Oh, and he deserved it. He musical. was really good. Because Taron Edgerton did his own singing. That's mm-hmm. so brave. Rami Malek doesn't do his own singing in Bohemian Rhapsody. 
which is bizarre. It, it never works too. The scenes where he's like sitting down at a piano and it's like beautiful studio vocals come out of his mouth. Like he'll just be like sitting in his living room. Yeah, but nobody wants to hear. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want to hear that. But you know that's not what the people want to hear. That's not what they want to hear when they're sitting on a plane. That's that is when they watch Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> And they probably will watch Rocket Man on a plane too, just not as know, enthusiastically. It's, it's, it's got a lot more gay sex than Bohemian Rhapsody. It'll have to be like mm. an edited version. I'm not sure what's the policy because I haven't flown in a while with rated R movies on planes. Well, there's the big Booksmart controversy this year where they edited out not only all the gay stuff, but any time someone said the word vagina, it was censored. Mm. So sleep, yeah, or, or probably like they were doing TV yeah. or something. I never feel like it's heavily censored when I watch things on a plane. It just usually has a screen before the movie that says, this movie is rated R and may have some violent images and suggestive content. Be aware of the people around you, which is basically just to make it so you don't watch sexy or violent movies around children. That's all I like to do. Yeah, that's all any of us want to do. I was Yeah, I watched Kill Bill Volume 2 on a plane this year. And that movie has that, or I, 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 it's volume one. I watched them both. It has the anime sequence with Oranichi where she's like having underage sex with a mob boss and she stabs him in the gut and he's like spewing blood everywhere. It's very gross. <laughs> but that was all in the airplane edit of the movie. Cartoons can get away with a lot more. <laughs> it's all just crayons and stuff. Alright, I think we've stalled long enough. I think we have to actually make this oh. top ten list, guys. Okay, Let's, we'll find a way to make it. So, just so everyone is familiar with the way we do this, it's top ten Thursday rules. We have an alphabetical list of all our nominees, which is all the movies that were actually on our top ten. No honorable mentions were included, um, which gives us 19 movies. So we're going to go through that. We're going to eliminate nine of those movies. Then the ten that are left, we're going to put in order and it's usually at that point that john or colin or both of you guys would be like i don't care anymore <laughs> um i already don't care <laughs> so, so look forward to that uh the first one again it's alphabetical list so the first movie we're going to talk about is one that was only on my list that's ad astra or dad astra or brad astra Wow. A lot of, a lot did you write a, a review of fun for you could uh, have this there. on the blog, Sean? I did not write a review. What title do you think you would have gone with? I, w- I would have gone with Dad Astro. Okay. Mm. Um, I remember my letterbox review was just like, more like Brad sad about his bad dad Astro. <laughs> well, so you just went through all the rhymes. I, I got it all out there. <laughs> um. But I, I like this movie. Uh, you know, every year we get a space movie. And uh, what I liked about this one is it had a lot of space set pieces that I hadn't seen before. Uh, you know, you have someone falling off a space elevator. You have an evil laboratory monkey in space. You have a gun battle on lunar rovers. Uh, you have someone swimming through the sewers of Mars. It's uh, it's it's unique uh, visuals, uh, and then it's coupled with this very personal story of uh, this 
lonely stoic dude trying to reconnect with his dad and sort of also with humanity uh i haven't seen a ton of james gray movies so i don't know if that's like if that's what you know lost city of zed was a few years ago um you mean about dads was it about dads or lonely guys no well i guess he's a lonely guy i don't know he's just trying to be good to native people while also like conquering them (laughs) some some mixed feelings there (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i like this movie uh did you like this one colin i did um I kind of came away from it feeling the way I do about all James Gray's movies where I'm just like, I like them quite a bit, actually, but they never leave a huge mark on me. Like, they're very well made. They're well acted. There's clearly a lot of thought put into them, but there's just there's just something about them that feels a little too, I don't know. It's hard for me to put my finger on. Just not risky enough, I guess. I mean, this movie, it is good. And, uh, I, I like Brad Pitt in it a lot. And it, it's definitely a kind of left turn for James Gray because he's mostly just done period pieces, or at least his last two movies were. So seeing him do a sort of sci-fi movie is, is interesting. Yeah, I like this movie quite a bit. It's just... Something about James Gray. I can't get that enthusiastic about his movies for some reason. John, do you think you'll see this one? Mm, Well, it is a Space Cowboys reunion. Yeah. Which I appreciate. It has Tommy Lee Jones and Donald Sutherland, both from Space Cowboys, which I did see in theaters. Congratulations. It's an American classic. Yeah, it is. So, from your description of these set pieces, this sounds fairly action-oriented. Is this true? Mm, it, I think it is. It just has these long periods of introspection <laughs> in between those mm. scenes. So, it's a maybe. I might see it if it ends up on a streaming service. I'm not going to go out of my way, though. But why didn't America see it? I feel like this movie didn't do super well. It wasn't a bomb, I don't think, but... It definitely disappointed. What what do you think was holding it back? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so it's not the movie's fault. It's just that people just didn't care to show. Do you think people are getting a little burned out on space movies? Particularly you know, as, astronaut as someone movies? who's not a huge fan of space, yes. Okay. Cause Sean I didn't even, see First Man either. Sean, you even alluded to it in, in your top ten that... We are at this point where it seems like we get an astronaut movie every year, usually around the fall, <laughs> for some reason. It's like you had, uh, yeah. you had First Man last year, and then the year before that, did we have The Martian? That might have been two years before that, but we're getting them. You had Gravity before that also. Yeah, there's lots of space movies. There's you know, Arrival... Yeah, we don't need to list them all. It's not helpful. Why not? But <laughs> I, I, I'm always I'm wary of the it's fatigue it's genre fatigue thing mm-hmm. um, because I think the only time that really ever happened in cinema history is with westerns, and no genre has ever been as big as westerns were when that happened. Yeah, like like you're talking about one or two space movies a year, 
that's we get like 10 superhero movies a year and i don't think anyone really buys into the superhero fatigue thing but um yeah i don't know i don't know if like brad pitt is a huge box office draw uh and there's no one else in that cast that i think is because uh, it's, it's a very brad pitt centric movie um maybe it just didn't seem exciting enough to the common moviegoer so a little bit better than what's that movie called lucy in the sky oh yeah, yeah. we got two space movies this year let's see what i seem to recall it had a hilariously low box office return Mm-mm. okay i don't know if this is updated but that movie costs 27 million at least according to Wikipedia, currently it made three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> Good God! Didn't even crack a million dollars. That is awful. <laughs> yeah, all it says for box office on Wikipedia was that this. This is older though. The film made uh, fifty-five thousand from thirty-seven theaters in its opening weekend, which was called terrible. <laughs> Why is terrible have to be in quotation? It's someone's quote, I guess. Isn't it weird that that still got Noah Hawley the Star Trek franchise? Yeah, it's like, well, hmm. Yeah, at least you finished your space movie and it came out. <laughs> Let's give him another shot. Yeah, that is weird. I don't know. Does that mean Dan Stevens is going to be the villain of the new Star Trek movie? My name's Khan Jr. My name's Borg. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think Ad Astra probably doesn't make the overall top 10. I'll pop it off. Uh, but one I would like to see on the overall top 10 is Avengers Endgame. We talked a lot about how 2019 was not just the end of the decade, but it was like the end of all media franchises we care about. Um, and the one that stuck the landing the best uh, for my money was Avengers Endgame. Um, a very satisfying conclusion to... 11 years of superhero nonsense that, uh, that left me smiling and satisfied, to quote Jim Halpert. Yeah. And, you know, people are going to always criticize Marvel for feeling all kind of the same. But I feel like if any movie of recent years stood out for me, Endgame stands out because it's a weird movie. Like, I think everyone's seen it at this point. Like, Thanos gets killed, like, ten minutes in. And mm-hmm. then there's, like, a weird time jump. And mm-hmm. then there has to be time travel. It's like, this is a fucking weird movie. <laughs> this isn't, like, your traditional action sci-fi adventure movie. This is, like, way weirder. And it's still... And, and, and I never felt... I always was I was always on board for what was going on. I was never, like, turned off by the direction they took it in. I'm sure maybe some people didn't like that five... Was it five years? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And that fucks up everything, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because they're doing what they think is best for the story. And then at the end, when everybody shows up, like, I feel like such a, a nerd for, like, tearing up at that moment. But how can you not when you spend so much time with these movies? Like, it's at that moment where I'm like, wow, I'm really invested in this <laughs> stuff. And they didn't even rest on their laurels. They were like, we're going to take every character in an interesting direction. We'll make Tony Stark a dad. Um, we'll make Black Widow super depressed. We'll make Hulk a professor. You know, Hawk, Hawkeye becomes an evil assassin. Uh, everybody got to develop. It wasn't just a happy reunion conclusion thing. It was 
uh, a meaningful ending with actual stakes. They fucking did it. They fucking Sean, did it. Sean, how confident are you for this next wave of Marvel, though? <sighs> like... <sighs> It doesn't sound very confident. You sighed twice. <laughs> I, I, I've i been looking at people's reactions to the new Black Widow trailer um, and people looking for hints like, oh, maybe she's still alive or there's time travel or something or there will be a clone of her. And it's like that part of it doesn't interest me at all, even though I feel like the way she got written out in Endgame is kind of the weakest part of that movie. Yeah. Um, and in Spider-Man, um, Far From Home, I liked, but I didn't love as much as I did. I mean, Captain Marvel also came out in 2019. I, I both, both of those movies, I kind of forget about them because I liked Endgame so much. Um, and, and so what I, I, it's really, I want, I want to see that first trailer for The Eternals. That's the one for me. Yeah. Because that's another team. That, that, it yeah. feels a lot like Guardians in where it's like, no one knows what the fuck any of this is. Yeah. <laughs> So who knows what this could be like? I don't know though. I'm not super confident about the Eternals. I'm not really that confident in any of these except for Thor: Love and Thunder. I feel mm-hmm. like they're gonna fucking nail that because it's got everyone back from Ragnarok. Plus, Colin, did you hear recently joined the cast of Thor: Love and Thunder? I probably did, but I think I forgot. Christian Bale. Oh, pretty okay. great, huh? I hope he's speaking with his his funny his Welsh <laughs> accent that we'll be talking about a little bit later. Uh, but like Doctor Strange, I was excited. Then Scott Derrickson left the project. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. So apparently he wanted to take it more horror-ish, and they wanted to cut restrain themselves a little bit. So that has me a little worried. He's staying on as a producer, though, for he whatever is. that's worth. I don't. And I, I mean, Ant Man still turned out to be good, and that had a similar scenario yeah. play out. Shang Chi. I don't know what the fuck any of that is. Shang Chi's been delayed <laughs> as because they were going to film it in. Um... I think Australia, and you can't really film anything in Australia right now. Oh, God. Uh, and then the Spider-Man sequel does have a release date, mm-hmm. but I feel like the fact that it already has a release date and we don't know anything about it is worrisome because, like, they got to haul ass. Well, but the the setup at Far From Home was really exciting. So it's a good it, setup. It, yeah. They have a, a, a nice jumping-off point. And I really want Craven the Hunter, and I'm telling you guys, they're probably not going to do it because he's way too busy, but Keanu Reeves would be the perfect Craven the Hunter... It's not gonna happen, but it would be the best thing ever. Um, I, I think they are doing Craven though. I think that's pretty much like that's gotta be it because he's gonna hunt, gotta hunt him down. He's the ultimate hunter. I, I think that's a that's a fun villain. But I think the other thing about this next uh, phase feels like the wrong word. The next era of Marvel movies is that uh, Kevin Feige's been pretty vague and said things like Fantastic Four and X Men are far off. I don't think they're that far off. I, I think, think they're right after this. I think 2022 we get something. Yeah, and I and, and that'll probably be a big deal. That'll probably have me really excited because they'll have done something. They'll have done something like got Denzel Washington to play Magneto. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Who's going to be Professor X? Forrest Whitaker? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I kind of like that. Uh, the next movie I want to talk about was The Farewell. I think that was also one that was only on my list. But everyone saw it. But everyone saw it. Yeah, I would have liked to put it on my list, but I just... Uh, there's just so many good movies this year, I couldn't make a spot for it, unfortunately. Because I liked it quite a bit. 
Until he got fucked over by the Oscars, too. Got, like, no nominations. What the hell? Yeah. That's disappointing. I would have liked to see Lulu Wang get nominated. Or the, or the, the actress who plays Nine Eye. At least, like, a screenplay nomination would have been nice. Mm-hmm. They gotta give it to the Joker. Well, like, I'm sure... Okay, I shouldn't be criticizing because I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure 1917 is fine. I'm sure I'll go and be like, that was good. But, like... I've heard people say that 1917 should not have got a best screenplay nomination because it's very little dialogue. It's mm. mostly action. Yeah. So it's it's really weird when you think about that. It's like, yeah, uh, that couldn't have been the farewell spot. I don't know, man. I don't know. But I thought it was a pretty uh, touching movie about family and mortality and culture. Um, it it really made a big impact on me when I saw it. Uh, I, I felt like I, I gained a lot of perspective into a, a specific immigrant experience, um, but also relating to a lot of the um, the family dynamic in this movie, uh, even though it's culturally pretty different from mine. Um, and it, it just it never it never fell out of my like top five movies of the year. I just I really couldn't couldn't bear to have it any lower on the list so that's my pitch for let's keep it around maybe i appreciate that it's not a super downer which i thought it could be Mm -hmm. with that premise it seems like it's inevitable yeah it finds a way i mean i think it helps that it's based on uh, lulu lane's actual true story her life but um yeah that was nice because it really seemed like it was heading in a dark way you know more tears. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it kind of has this sort of, uh, I don't know, morbid, <laughs> like, uh, shadow hovering over it, but somehow it, like, finds humor, and it, it does establish a very unique tone that I thought was interesting to have a movie that's dealing with death, but also in kind of a slightly farcical way, but also a way that also feels, you know, very, very true to... To the the Chinese American experience. Yeah. Did you feel like uh, speaking of the the darkness of the movie? Did you feel like the um, the text that comes up on the screen after the last shot of the movie undercut the impact of it? It made me feel good. <laughs> yeah, I was okay with it. I was. I think you had to do it like that because I think it would have if you try to play that out in the movie. It would have seemed way too ridiculous. Yeah, it and, had to be done like that. And, and if you go home and look it up on Wikipedia and like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you might be pissed too. I, I guess it is weird because it seems like, like you're like, oh, well, she's just gonna die sometime soon, and then it's like immediately you get that, and you're like, yeah. oh, I guess not. Yeah. So you don't really have enough time to process that information. So I kind of like it, but it was weird to totally change how I felt about the end, mm. like in a split second like that. But I like it actually. So I don't mind. All right, I'm keeping it around for now. Also, scallion pancakes. The food in this movie looks so good, yeah. particularly the scallion pancakes. Oh my god, I want that food. None of people talked about. It. There should be an award for best food at the Oscars. That is your calling, John. You best need to make food. that happen. Best food. I'm gonna try every the next movies we, like all the movies we go through. I'm gonna try to remember if there's any good food scenes. I don't I mean, there's there definitely that that noodle dish that they had to make in Parasite. Ooh, and in Endgame, like I feel like Hulk has eaten like so many pancakes. <laughs> also, uh, uh, Black Widow makes the sad sandwich, which is just peanut butter and bread. Oh, that is the saddest sandwich you've ever heard of. 
Um, there are some food scenes in the next one on our alphabetical list, which is another one that only I've seen. Ford v. Ferrari. Um, there's a like a couple times where <laughs> Christian Bale's like walk around with groceries and he ends up like throwing them on the ground because he has to fight Matt Damon. Um, this happens a couple times? I think it happens more than once. <laughs> that just sounds like something that would happen in Christian Bale's real life. <laughs> He's going to fight Matt Damon. He probably didn't know they were filming. That's like it's funny that Christian Bale, um, who's played a lot of like assholes over the past decade, has has perfected the art to the point where he's playing one in this movie that you still kind of root for and like. Uh, you can just be like, "Oh, this guy's so, he's he's just he's got to be an asshole." You're rooting for him, but he's he's got to do something real stupid because he's an asshole. Um, and Matt Damon <laughs> Matt Damon is just like so cool in Ford v Ferrari you guys wouldn't even believe how cool he is I don't know if Matt Damon's ever been this cool he's way cooler than he is in like rounders <laughs> okay interesting film I, I don't know Ford v Ferrari is, is it doesn't have anything for you intellectually there's no message there it's just rich people trying to see who can go the fastest <laughs> but they uh, they shot a lot of the racing scenes practically um, and it makes them fun you know they've got the, the, a lot of really cool shots it makes it seem really dangerous too because it's back in a time when like I mean still race cars are, are very dangerous especially this this kind of, of racing uh, I don't know it's it's like it's something that I've had no interest in but it was able to keep me entertained, which I think I think is a pretty magical experience. Like, it doesn't happen very often that I'll actively not really want to see a movie and I'm like walk away from going like that was that was pretty great. <laughs> so I wanted to give Ford v Ferrari a little bit of love and put it literally in the number ten spot on my list. But I don't I don't think it makes this list. Are you guys gonna see it? I don't think you got. Did it get an yeah, Oscar? Yeah, I got a best picture. Got best picture. It. You have to see it. Yeah. What about you, Connor? Are you gonna see it? Yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> On a plane. Uh, yeah, that does sound like a good plane movie. It will eat up a lot of time. I feel like it's always good to watch uh, a movie about some sort of transportation while you're flying through the air. <laughs> Not necessarily a plane movie, but maybe like a car or or, or train movie. There's a good plane scene in it. Okay. Um, the next movie is one I haven't seen, but it's called Hustlers. Only I saw it. Yeah. I don't know if I have much more to add. I think I chose it as a little pick once, but uh, it's just uh, it's a really fun movie. Uh, really wish Jennifer Lopez had gotten nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress. That would have been a nice comeback story but uh had uh had to nominate marco robbie and scarlett johansson for a second time <laughs> oh well but uh she's really good that the whole cast is pretty great it's just like a fun caper movie that's like i don't know also feels a little trashy because it's got like a very late <laughs> 2000s feel to it and everybody's strippers uh 
So, I don't know. It's good. Worth checking out. It's got a late 2000s feel because it's set in the late 2000s, right? Yes, it is. It, it kind okay. of uses the uh, the 2008 recession as, as a backdrop. Is it based on a true plot. story? Yes, it's uh, based on a magazine article. <laughs> which I, I think it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood was also based on a magazine article <laughs> just one of those years where people were looking for stories in outdated mediums should I prioritize Hustlers over Magic Mike yeah Magic it's Mike? better than I'm, Magic Mike I've I never can't, seen Magic Mike I can't speak for Magic Mike XXL, which I know has its its following, but uh, it's it's definitely better than the first Magic Mike. Anyways, should we move on to? Well, I need you to weigh in. Yes, Are you going to yes. fight for Hustlers, or do I take it off? No, list? I'm not going to fight for Hustlers. It was my number ten, and no one else saw it, so it's it's not going to make the list. All right. Yeah. Uh, another one that only one of us saw is I Lost My Body. I lost my body, which I saw advertised on Netflix, but I didn't linger on it because I hate it when it plays that auto preview thing. But I was like, that looks interesting, even though I only took like a second to look at it. But then later on, I saw that I was getting all these award nominations. So I was like, what's this movie about? And then when I found out that a good chunk of the movie is about a disembodied hand, like Mm -hmm. running around Paris, like looking for its owner. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have to see this. That's so great. And I mean, it reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in one of the best movies of all time, the Adams Family movie. When you when like, like remember when Thing the hand is like making his journey, like he's got to warn somebody about something. He's like running across the, the street and he like makes a phone call, and it's like that except a lot darker. Because <laughs> this hand has to fight rats, and it gets like on, stuck, stuck on like a subway track, and it's just like it's fucking cr- crazy. And then it's intercut with this like bittersweet um, like romance story with this pizza delivery guy who had this really messed up childhood. Well, it was only messed up because his parents died in a car accident, so he and he never really recovered from it. And he has like all these he used to record himself and do a tape recorder all the time, and he has a tape recorder of that incident, so he listens to it all the time. Mm. And he's trying to get the attention of this this girl uh, who doesn't really like know exists, and he gets like an apprenticeship uh, with like this old man who in the English dub version is played by George Wendt, which is awesome. Nice. I watched it with the French language version. But it's just a really beautiful animated movie. Uh, it's really dark, which I like. Uh, there's not enough adult animation out there, you know, like in feature-length form. It seems like such a rarity. I know there's The Red Turtle a few years ago, which I wish I'd seen, and a handful of other movies, but it's just... It's such a cool medium. It'd be nice to see stuff like this more often. So uh, I really enjoy it. I, I've heard you say that like it's 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 more of an adult movie. Um, but the one question I have about I Lost My Body that I've not I've heard pe- a few people talk about it now, and I still don't have the answer is what's happening with his hand unique, or is this a world where there are lots of fantastical things like that happening? Well, so the hand first appears in like a laboratory, and it like gets out of a bag, and you do see like an eyeball move around a little bit in the laboratory. But aside from that, that's it. It's really more of used as like a, a storytelling device. There's not any other fantastical elements in there. It doesn't really make any sense, and they never make an attempt to explain it, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the, the way, way to do way it. To go. Yeah. So no, it's it's played pretty much straight. There's just a hand running around, fighting rats. 
fighting rats. And I don't want to spoil um, what it all means because there's, you know, you're kind of piecing things together as you go along between the stories, which is cool. Will we be piecing it into our top ten list? Nah, I mean, it's only on my list. <laughs> but you guys can see it. It's on Netflix. It's only 81 minutes long. The opposite of that, but also on Netflix, is the next movie on our list. <laughs> The Irishman. How long is you the could, Irishman again? You could fit like three of <laughs> I Lost My Bodies into The Irishman. Irishman is 209 minutes. 209. Oh. Wow. They should just say it's 24 hours. But here's the thing. I like I couldn't stop thinking about The Irishman. I had to watch the like roundtable thing that they had on Netflix um, with the three main stars and Martin Scorsese. I had to read about Jimmy Hoffa, um, and especially the ending of The Irishman. I couldn't get out of my head of how depressing and meaningless that guy's life ended up being. Um, I thought that was incredible. And I stand by everything I said about, like, I'm in no hurry to watch this movie again. But I couldn't I couldn't forget it, so I had to put it on my top ten. Yeah. I've I've thought about watching it again, but I'm just like I don't know if I'm ever gonna have a time where I just have three hours on my hands. I mean, I watched it like the perfect time to have three hours on my hands, which was Thanksgiving weekend. But um, no, I'm with you. This uh, I think the movies that often end up high on my list are always the movies that kind of linger with me or, or stick with me or that I just can't get out of my head and I, I definitely had that feeling with this one um, and I, did, I, I didn't really have a problem with the the runtime but I'm sure if you're not as uh, inclined to watch Martin Scorsese's uh, gangland shenanigans uh, maybe it is a little long but yeah I, I, I really loved it um there there were days when i was like maybe this is my number one it, it, it could have been my number one but i it it wasn't quite uh but i kind of yeah. i kind of said that on my top 10 I was like my last like my top four basically all could have been my number one it, it wasn't clear for me this year because uh yeah i i do think this was a really great year for movies one more thing that had to end with the decade, Martin Scorsese's gangsta flicks. Gangsters. Good ice cream eating scenes. Yeah. Oh, I lost my body. Good pizza eating scenes. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Does the hand eat the pizza? Or well, the-, the pizza delivery guy has pizza, and it's kind of ruined. It's like kind of it's like rainy. It gets kind of mm-hmm. runny, but it's like it still looks really good. He like eats it. It's all drippy. I feel like pizza in, in, in animated films is always like extra cheesy. Yeah, that's the way I feel about it too. <laughs> and I feel like I've never actually had that pizza in my life. Like, like, do you remember? Do you guys remember the scene in All Dogs Go to Heaven where they eat the pizza? Oh it's yeah, so oh, gooey. Yeah. It's it's stretching out for miles. I, that and also just the Ninja Turtles cartoon in general. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, same kind of thing. And me so, so horny cheesy. for that, that cheesy pizza. pizza. Doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't exist, man. It sucks. Um, what does exist is Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's follow-up to The Last Jedi, uh, Who Done It Murder Mystery. I talked about it as a little pick once, and I really liked it. Uh, yeah, me too. 
You saw it uh, twice, didn't you? What, what was it like seeing it a second time? It was so fun because I was like, I know what's up. Yeah, I know all the secrets. That's cool. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to see it again yeah. just to see how it all connects. Not that it was really a movie where I felt like, eh, maybe some of that didn't all connect. It felt very well thought out and and like a like a big old puzzle piece, and not the kind where you're missing a few because you bought it from a Goodwill store or something. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think a good movie has to be more than a good puzzle or a good mystery. I think it's like if a movie can be ruined by a spoiler then i don't think it's genuinely a great movie and and my second time seeing it i was able to much more enjoy the characterization the sets mm-hmm. um the camera work like they're just they're doing everything real good it's really funny it's weird how don johnson keeps playing characters where it's called into question if he's racist <laughs> <laughs> yeah he does it's like Watchmen, Django Unchained this movie uh-huh. Not sure I guess you could go from. with saying which also came out this year dragged across concrete because he's kind of defending Mel Gibson who's kind of like a racist cop yeah. <laughs> so he's like he's got his back sort of yeah he's just good at that I guess you gotta play your type no matter what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I'll keep that one around for now, too. Um, one that really hurt me to not put on my list because I loved it so much was The Lighthouse. Why didn't you put it on your list, Sean? <sighs> spill your beans! <laughs> I'm gonna it, make you spill your beans a- so then once you reveal it, I can say, Why just spill your beans after you kill me? Did I put it on my top 10 list, John? (laughs) How long ago did I post that top 10 list? Do you even know? Was it yesterday? Was it three weeks ago? I love that part of the movie because it's like, okay, now I have no idea what the fuck's (laughs) going on. I have no idea what's real in this movie. This was nice for me because I... I liked the I liked Robert Eggers' debut, The Witch, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to like it more. I always felt a bit of a distance from that film. I think mostly in terms of the dialogue. I have no idea what anyone's talking about <laughs> in that movie. But there's so many other things about that movie that I really like. The performances and just the production design. Like, because Robert Eggers has such an attention to detail. He does his research. He fills journals with all the notes he takes about these time periods. And The Lighthouse... I think it helped that it was just the two characters in an isolated location, and it's a little more contemporary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little more. It's still pretty wacky, like the way they talk and everything, and wherever the hell they're supposed to be, I'm not sure. But I, I felt like I could really sink my teeth into it a lot more. Um, yeah, I think because it was like more. It's it, you can also just sort of relate to the situation more, like and obviously not like working on this remote island lighthouse, but. Uh, like being like stuck in a place with someone you don't really like who's farting and <laughs> bossing you around. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. So, so many good farts. This is like nutty professor level <laughs> of farts. And this is, I might be my favorite Willem Dafoe performance ever. He is so funny it's, in this movie and per- scary. Yeah. yeah. And that speech he gives about, like, the Dread Emperor will drag you under the water. Because he doesn't like his lobster. 
Yeah, he doesn't like his lobster. Or what about that part when he's like, he's dancing, he's like, dance, dance! He's like trying to get him to dance with him. It's, it's, it's so involved. It's really fun hearing about the behind the scenes of this movie. And um, like, the conditions were terrible, so everyone was miserable because they mm-hmm. actually built the lighthouse on this little rocky island somewhere in Canada. But like, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, like, as they were filming, like, Robert Pattinson hated Willem Dafoe. Like, they got along <laughs> fine when they weren't working and everything, but, like, they just hated each other, and I feel like that really, like, makes the performances so much more powerful. Like, I know Willem Dafoe would be, like, joking around and hanging out with everyone on set, and Robert Pattinson would be, like, off on his own. And I, I think it's just because Willem Dafoe has, like, a totally different process for how he, he does his performances. He's an old-school theater guy where Robert Pattinson is, is a lot different, so... Mm. It was fun to see them play off each other with their different styles and see that like they're so stressed out. Yeah. And and, and just the fact that this movie was also... Uh, this movie shot in black and white on old-timey cameras mm-hmm. and the old-timey aspect ratio. I'm glad it at least got the one Oscar nomination for cinematography. Very well deserved. Mm. Um, I, I have a lot of respect. This movie is so non-commercial like you can't make a less commercial movie than the lighthouse <laughs> yet we still saw it at like a multiplex you're like it's cool yeah yeah that was definitely something i thought about with this movie and maybe some other ones i guess with high life also which is another robert pattinson movie where it's just like a24 has gotten to the point where they're bringing some incredibly weird movies to like fairly mass audiences or at least they're available in like yeah multiplexes even though they're not very commercial at all which is interesting and kind of cool yeah they're just not getting those oscar noms yeah oh well so robert eggers two movies the witch had an evil goat the lighthouse had an evil seagull what animal are you looking forward to making evil in his next movie? Um, maybe like a little evil monkey. <laughs> That's real scary. <laughs> Monkeys are already pretty scary. I know. Oh my god, that movie Monkey Shines. Someone should remake Monkey Shines. I've told you guys about the movie Monkey Shines, right? It's about a man who's a quadriplegic who gets a helper monkey, but then the helper monkey like starts to kill. Yeah. And then he has to fight the helper monkey at the end, and he like bites its neck and then bites like it, shakes yeah. it around. That part in particular, I feel like you've told me about a lot of There's times. just so many emotions going on in that scene. Because it goes from, like, sad because he knows he has to kill the monkey to funny because he's, like, shaking the monkey and it's clearly a puppet. And then sad again because then the monkey's dead. Mm-hmm. Even that's killing What monkey. a movie, guy! Monkey Shines. Recommend. That's my little <laughs> pick for this podcast. <laughs> uh, and you'll have to tell us how it compares to Little Women when you finally get around to seeing that. Yeah, what happened, guys? You didn't see the Little Women. Not yet, but it, it will. I've been very busy. I, I had to wait to I see if he was going to get a Best Picture nomination. Oh yeah, so you're you're obligated to see it. I will. Um, I am excited to see it on a second time too, because the movie does have a kind of complicated structure in that it seems to be cutting back between two different points in the novel little women uh so like the first half hour 40 minutes i was like kind of having a hard time getting the the rhythm of the movie but then like once it settles into a groove it was just it was just great i I mean i i had a lot of expectations 
just because I loved Lady Bird, uh, Greta Gerwig's first directorial feature. And this one definitely has that same feel where it's just like you like all the characters a lot and the dialogue's like very funny and real and lived in, even despite the fact that the movie has to adapt this very old text and this book, which has been adapted tons of times to the screen. That was something I brought up with John. I've not read the book or seen any other adaptations of the story. I'm pretty blind on it. Was that your case too? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have much of a relationship with this story. So, you know, it's not like I I was seeing a, a... new twist on a familiar story to me even though i could certainly feel from watching it that i was trying to do something a a little bit new by by having that that jumping around in terms of the the time periods that are being depicted on screen and also the ending is a little bit meta and it kind of uh it, it turns some of Louisa May Alcott's, the, the writer of Little Women, it turns like her story into part of the, the movie where it becomes a little bit more autobiographical than even the book is, which is supposedly heavily inspired by Alcott's real life. And it's just, uh, yeah, it I, I could tell. Greta Gerwig was going for something a little more modern, even though it's also clearly very faithful to the the source material. Um, All right, which, which is pretty now cool. <laughs> now for the important question. Yeah, if you're Tracy Letts, mm-hmm. which table are you sitting at at the Oscars? Little Women or Ford v Ferrari? Um, don't know because I haven't seen. <laughs> Ford v Ferrari. He doesn't have a huge part in Little Women. He's kind of just popping up occasionally while uh, Saoirse Ronan's kind of telling her story to him and that she wants to turn it into a book. Um, what what does he do in Ford v Ferrari? He plays Henry Ford II. Well, that sounds He's... pretty important. That's the part of the title of the movie. Yeah, he gets he gets so pissed off at Enzo Ferrari. He's like, "I'm gonna kick his ass." God, that movie's got a weird, but pretty great cast. You know, yeah. um, John Bernthal plays Lee Iacocca in that <laughs> stupid, sexy Lee Iacocca. Who's that? <laughs> Does not need explaining. <laughs> there are a lot of car guys in my family, I guess. He, 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 I don't he, know car guys. He, um, he ran the Ford Motor Company later. Mm-mm. Don't worry about it. All right. uh, we don't need to break up or anything about it. Like, no. like in Marriage Story. That's a bad... I'm sorry. That's not my best segue. I liked Marriage Story a lot. It was another movie that I was thinking about a lot after I saw it, um, which was nice because I saw it on a plane, so I got to just like close my iPad and like think about it. Yeah, it I, it also had an impact on me in that. After I watched it, I made my girlfriend dinner and said we shouldn't get married <laughs> unless we really, really want to. <laughs> She's staring at me right now. <laughs> and she nodded. 
shook her head in disapproval. <laughs> she doesn't even have the context. Yeah. Well, well you watched most of Marriage Story, right? Okay. She she did watch Marriage Story. We all got context. We've all seen Marriage Story. That's a weird one to watch on a plane. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have. I only had so much time to get through my like top ten candidates. Yeah, yeah. I get it. You got you got to get them in. Uh. Anyway, should we should we move on? We've talked about marriage. Yeah, it story. was a li- it was a little pick, so we can just keep going. Yeah, uh, Midsummer. Another breakup movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> slightly different outcome in this one. Mm. Uh, this is a two four again. We all saw this. This movie is fucking disgusting <laughs> and sadistic. <laughs> but that, it was funny. That was the thing because like we we walked out of it. Um, we watched the whole movie. We didn't walk out of the village. So we watched, we watched the movie and walking out, and I don't know how I feel about it. And I'm like, I don't think I need to see that again, <laughs> just because I don't know that I could take it. But then I was thinking back. You know, I felt the same way when I saw Hereditary. And the first time I saw Hereditary, I just kind of felt unnerved and wasn't sure if I liked it. And then I saw it again, and then I really liked it. And I haven't watched Midsummer again yet, but. I think that's going to happen because there's just so much of it that stuck with me. I think a big part of it is just the look of it. Like, it's kind of otherworldly. Not just in the location and how it's photographed, but a lot of, like, the camera movements. Like, if you recall early on, there's that weird shot where they're they're driving off to the village. And, like, the camera goes, like, upside down. Yeah. Just watching everything upside down. And then they go to this weird village where it's always daytime. And people live in these weird huts. Like, that alone would like like makes it memorable for me but then just there's like these uh, horrible like uh, consequences to these people that do these things in this village that they're not supposed to do and i don't know maybe it's too much in terms of what these people have to go through for their their mistakes but at least it's like it's not like a movie where people are being tortured just because like they at least did bad stuff sort of to get to that yeah, point, they're just being over. Maybe that's what the Saw movies are like too, right? Where like the, the Saw guy has Jigsaw has a reason that he's picking yeah. People, people aren't right? just like tortured or, or put in traps just because it's because they've done something bad, like, and it's them trying to make up for that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of, kind of like that. But yeah, it's hard to walk out of this movie feeling good. That, for me, that was my like. I, I know a lot of people interpret the ending as cathartic, and I did not find that to be <laughs> cathartic at all. I thought that that was a the ending for uh, Florence Pugh's character was like her being utterly lost once and for all. Um, but I know other people interpret it as, oh, she's finally found her people, which to me is a fucking wild interpretation of that ending i don't know where you guys come down on it. i think i'm a little bit in between where it's like it's cathartic in that like oh she finally got the nerve to break up with her boyfriend but also it's like yeah she's she's got off the deep end this is this has gone too far uh more uplifting ending than hereditary though right Kind of. Hereditary things worked out pretty great, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) 
you know that kid uh he's got he made a lot of new friends <laughs> but that's what these movies are all about it's just making new friends i just yeah and this florence Pugh, she makes a lot of friends uh, yeah she becomes the may queen she's like the most popular person there now stuff like like the scene where she's crying and everyone else cries with her it's so creepy and also i don't find that comforting at all i feel like i feel like that's them taking away her ability to cry by by doing it at the same time that's it yeah i guess so it's just a way think about it um but yeah i just even though this movie yeah it's kind of weird like i kind of like having these kind of horror movies that are challenging Mm -hmm. it's it's been a while since there's been movies like this we're in this weird phase of like art house horror we have movies like this in the lighthouse where like there's a great um, uh, interview where uh, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers on the A24 pad- podcast interview each other about each other's movies, and they end up spending like almost the whole podcast just talking about Bergman. And it's like, yeah, that's who these guys like. It's like these guys. I mean, they both like horror, but it's like they didn't they didn't make these movies because they love like John Carpenter, the Friday the Thirteenth movies. They love like Criterion movies, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of that's what's influencing them in their horror movies. So. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool uh, to to get these kind of horror movies that that make you think and they're they're more art house. I wonder who uh, who's gonna get a Criterion first. I feel like Ari Aster is just dying to have a Criterion. But I feel like Ari Aster is more commercially successful. I'm not. I haven't looked at the numbers. No, I think you're right. Uh, Probably. Like I feel like the Lighthouse might need a Criterion release just because. How else is even gonna come out? (laughs) I think the third film that each of them make is really gonna. Is really going to tell the tale, yeah. Of who gets a criterion first? <laughs> um, I think we'll we'll talk about the the sophomore horror movies when we get to the third one of those, because I do want to hear what everyone's favorite of those three were. Um, mm. But the next one uh, we're going to talk about is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie. Oh yeah, they want you to remember that, like to the point of uh, the Golden Globes. Leonardo DiCaprio introduced it. He says, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. I'm like, now it's official. Like, it's in the trailers, they say the ninth film. But, like, now that he's set it in front of... He set it in front of Quentin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In a, and in and Quentin didn't stand up and go, no! Yeah, it's, it's officially the ninth film. Uh, yeah, before this movie came out, when we did our anticipated uh, list last year, I was like, this has to be my favorite movie of the year. It mm-hmm. just... It felt like everything was going to work out. And it did, like... It was perfectly cast. It was an interesting premise. It's a movie about movies, which like Quentin loves. It's like his favorite subject. Um, I think the only thing that was called into question was like, how are they going to handle the Sharon Tate stuff? And I think they did a good job. Like, I mean, I'm just think people are probably critical of Sharon Tate, like not having any lines through a good chunk of the movie. But yeah. Yeah, there wasn't really a lot of her. Her whole character arc is: it would be really sad if this person got murdered. (laughs) Like they're just building up that she's a very likable, outgoing person that everybody is interested in. So it'd be really bad if she got murdered. But I do like those scenes. Like I like it when she goes to go see what's that movie, The Wrecking Crew, or the Martin that she's in. Puts her dirty feet up in front of the camera. A lot of dirty feet in the series. Yeah, (laughs) Quentin's going going ham on the. This is who he is now. There's no subtlety. And, you know, he, he dialed back, like, there's, like, barely any actual Charles Manson in this movie. He has, like, one scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which people are like, oh, what's how are they going to handle that? I think they did a good job of handling it respectfully. 
And then I'm I'm always a fan of Quentin's alternate history. Uh, that was really fun to watch. And then uh, if we're talking about the the other side of the story with with Leo and Brad, like I think this is my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio performance. I think it's actually pretty underrated what he has to do in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think to the scene where he's doing the Western TV show and he has to like pretend to fuck up and then he has to <laughs> pretend to like you know turn it around and do do a good job like that i feel like that's really challenging as an actor like how he can turn it around so fast i love all those scenes where he's on set filming that show yeah there's or when he's like in his trailer and he's in his too. trailer and he's like i'm fucking quitting drinking and he immediately takes a swig out of his Apparently flask that scene was pretty improvised mm-hmm. too and then the great scene where he's talking to the child actress mm-hmm. about the cowboy novel he's reading. <laughs> he gets all choked does up. Does the parallels to the to that cowboy story in his own, and he's crying. <laughs> he like Leo has to do a lot in this movie. He has to like, cry and scream and look like a doofus, and he has to get out a flamethrower. <laughs> oh man, I love all the the scenes we get to see of him on TV shows and movies too. That's so great. Or when they put him in The Great Escape, I had to go back oh, and watch yeah. that on YouTube. They digitally put him into the original movie because he's talking about how he he had a chance to be in that movie. Uh, and then there's uh, and then there's Brad Pitt, who I think probably will win the Oscar for supporting actor, which is cool because this is one of Quentin's coolest characters ever. <laughs> like this is this stuntman dude who like beat up Bruce Lee and has like a cool attack dog, even though he lives a shitty life. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't know if it's he'd consider it shitty. Maybe I don't know. It's that whole sequence where he drives home and feeds his dog. Like that's kind of a sweet scene. That's that's a scene I feel like. That's the Quentin that I wish we got to see more often. That I think uh, shows that you know he's not just great at dialogue; he's a great director and has those those moments. Because mm-hmm. you know that whole sequence where he's feeding the dog, it's very slow. It's 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 it, we're focusing on these moments that most movies would cut out. Well, and those driving scenes too are so thrilling. I mean, you haven't seen anything like that since what American Graffiti, and yeah. and the fact that they're somehow blending in CG buildings or or something to make it look. Like it's fifty years ago, it's incredible. Yeah, I'm sure there is plenty of, uh, of of CG here and there, but it's kind of done in the Fincher way, where it's pretty seamless. Mm-hmm. Like it really takes you back to this time period. You always feel like you're there, and the fact that we got to see it in 35 millimeter like made it even better. Yeah, like to see it with all the crackles and the hairs in the film, and uh, and if there was one moment that I that got more applause than. Uh, and Captain America picking up Thor's hammer. I think it was Leonardo DiCaprio bursting out of that shack with the flamethrower. <laughs> I love that moment so much. And I, but I was afraid it's like, oh, this movie could be like win Best Picture. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know. That seems pretty crazy. Mm. <laughs> I, I think everybody because I, I I saw it in theaters twice, and both times I got to that scene, everybody was laughing and applauding and just into it. It's, it's great. So good. That whole sequence where they're fighting off the the, the Manson mm-hmm. family. So good. So satisfying. Because you don't want Sharon Tate to get murdered. Yeah. And then for Christmas, Sean got me uh, the, the posters of some of uh, Rick Dalton's fictional movies. Uh, <laughs> and those are great. The movies he, he shot in Italy, mostly. So uh, I love that. I love, uh, you know, especially in Tarantino movies when he has like his, you know, uh, fake brands and fake movies within the movie and all that kind of stuff I did, it's funny is sergio corbucci is just to stand for sergio leone right that's he, that's a made-up name right 
I know that some of the, uh, he might be real actually. <laughs> oh man! I think Sergio Corbucci is a real person. Wow! Yeah, so it's a great fake name though. It is a great fake name. Yeah, he made the original Django. Oh, it's all connected. Everything's a remix. Wait, isn't he's not? No, it's Franco Nero was Django. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but he was. He did direct it, Django, or write it or something. Um, the next movie we're here to talk about is Pain and Glory. Yeah, this was on my list. Um, so this is a movie that kind of reminded me a little bit of, of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman, sort of, because it's another movie where it's like a director kind of in the, the later stages of his career kind of reflecting on his legacy a bit, though I would say even more overtly in Pain and Glory's case because Antonio Banderas is um, playing a film director who even looks a lot like Pedro Almodovar, who directed this movie. And I had not seen any Almodovar movies in a while. I saw a bunch when I was in college and, and liked a lot of them, but I, I, I couldn't even really remember if I like if his style of filmmaking would still resonate with me um even though this movie got good reviews so i i went out and saw it and just kind of loved it uh i i love homodovar his set design is always so like colorful even in a movie like this where it it has a little more of a somber tone where some of his movies can be a little more comedic but um yeah, the movie is, is, is kind of about a director who hasn't directed a movie in a while, kind of reflecting on his life and also sort of making peace with... I mean, most of it's about him making peace with an actor who he's been kind of estranged with for a while. Um, and it's also kind of cutting back and forth uh, with with the director's childhood as well. Uh, Penelope Cruz plays his mother and... It's about their relationship too as well um and uh, it uh, has one of my favorite endings of the year it really snuck up on me didn't see it coming Ooh, he does he get out the flamethrower <laughs> uh i would say he gets out the narrative flamethrower big time <laughs> good yeah does um, he walk out of the frame like draft day uh Kind of. I, don't know. <laughs> I really don't want to spoil it, even though I, I, I don't know if you guys will ever see this movie, but it's, I gotta uh, see it because it, I gotta. I don't have to see it. I just want to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. I have you guys seen any Elma Dover movies? I don't think so. Actually, okay. I feel like I've been gotten close to watching The Skin I Live In a couple times because mm. sometimes people say like it's like kind of horry. <laughs> I would say it's kind of horror. I feel like it would have been a good movie to do for our 2010s horror Shocktober, but okay, that, that time is. But passed. Aside, aside from that, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I've always been around, been meaning to get. I think well, Volver's the one I've always heard about. Just when yeah. they had a big poster of it, Scarecrow video. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's why I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's got some movies in the Criterion Collection. If you guys are <laughs> thinking of picks for oh. this year. If they're on Criterion Channel, that makes it easy. Yeah. Did you get your official Criterion Channel ID card? 
I don't think so. What, they, what is this? They emailed me. It's it's like a credit card, but it's just like, I'm a founding member of the Criterion channel. Oh, they didn't no, actually. I, I wasn't a founding member, though. That sounds cool. Does it look cool? It looks like a credit card. I don't know what I would do with it. Just try to pay for something with it. <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm a Criterion channel just founding Every member. time you buy a Criterion in person, just bring that card out and be like, I was a founding member. Hey, I don't even know where I can buy one in person anymore. Now that the Barnes & Noble's gone. Uh, I think the Barnes & Noble and uh, Linwood might be... Uh, <laughs> they, they might oh. have Blu-rays. So. All right. In July, I'll go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next movie on our list is Parasite. We did a big pick for the Parasite. I guess we did it for the Irishman, too. Um, uh, like a lot of the best movies of the year, I thought about it a lot, liked it a lot. Um, I think it was fun. If you go back and listen to that podcast, you can you can hear me like realizing how much I like the movie <laughs> in real time. Yeah. Um, because like I went from being like that was pretty good to I fucking love this movie. Yeah. Um, as we had that conversation, I feel like the more you unpack from that movie, you realize how much there is to unpack, and so it, yeah, it's it's pretty great. Next, uh, yeah, I don't know if we have much to add. Uh, the souvenir. Oh yeah. I don't have much to add to this movie either. It's just a, a, a nice little small indie film that kind of crept up on me, and I didn't have any expectations for it. I don't even think I knew the plot to the movie going into it, but I was just like, eh, it's, it's on Amazon. <laughs> I need to catch up with more movies before the end of the year. People seem to like this one. And I... Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I even read your top ten list. I don't remember what this movie is about. Um, it's about a young woman living in early 80s Britain. She's a film student uh, who's kind of trying to get her own documentaries made. And then she uh, starts this relationship with a slightly older man who seems kind of charming and nice at first but then she kind of slowly realizes that he's got some problems the biggest one being that he's a drug addict and yeah it's just kind of a a coming of age movie and i know those are kind of a dime a dozen but this one felt just a little more real and a little more i don't know haunting in a way you made me remember a trailer I saw last year for a movie that must have already come out about like a British kid who realizes he really loows Bruce Springsteen music Ooh, blinded, blinded by, by the, the light, light. Blinded, of course I thought about seeing that one, but it just you didn't sound, see that it just sounded too corny. <laughs> uh is the souvenir one that we should hold on to, or can I take it off the- take it off, Sean. I feel like any movies that only one of us saw is probably not going to make the list. But we'll see. But that leaves Little Women off the list. I want to see it. It was, it was pretty high on my list, so we, we could consider that one. Um, another one we can consider is Toy Story 4, the fourth Toy Story movie. Didn't need to be made. But the fact that I can see this movie and then have to question my ranking of the Toy Story movies means it's good. <laughs> I think it it did a great job of um, 
hitting on the uh, some some philosophical stuff. What does it mean to be a toy? Does a toy need an owner? Mm-hmm. Love yeah. all that stuff, especially in a post-toy world like the one we're living in. Yeah, that's fucked up. That's true. I didn't think about that. There should have been like a shot of like a like like they go to like Al's, an Al's toy barn and now it's just like abandoned, <laughs> an empty building, and like they read Al's obituary and stuff. Oh god, I'm so sad. <laughs> Is Al buried in his toy barn? <laughs> Yeah, but he, t- but he doesn't have, go. He doesn't have a tombstone. They just have a framed version of his obituary from the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't afford it. Or they stuffed him in a dead bear and then burnt down the toy barn. There you go. Fans of Midsummer will appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like, and then it just does all the things that Toy Story movies do so well. It's got the heart. It's got the laughs. It's fucking beautiful like you look back to that first toy story looks good but you look at the people they're scary mannequin people so scary (laughs) people look so good in this and everything's just like like i love the setting of the antique store where you can see all the stuff that's like shiny and then you see all the stuff that's dusty and you just and there's the toys have different time periods can i bring up my two toy story four beefs (laughs) so you can help me settle them okay so i have not thought about this movie since we saw it okay um my first beef was they sidelined a lot of the beloved side characters to make room for new side characters. And I feel like that hit Buzz Lightyear and Jesse the hardest, where they did not have much in this movie. You don't feel like the side characters got enough screen time in 2 and 3? I wanted more of them. I would prefer more, personally, more Woody time as opposed to more of those guys, if I had to make the choice. I mean, yeah, maybe you could have done more of a 50-50 split, but I love the Woody stuff so much. He's... Head and shoulders above all the other characters. Yeah, that's that's true. So I'll my, take it. My other beef. Okay. This movie's ending is a direct rebuttal of the Toy Story three ending. Is that okay? It depends on how you how much you like Toy Story three. Toy Story three being, I like them all a lot, but I think this is the one where I might like four better than three. I don't mind because I kind of like this ending better. Hmm. So I think if you're if you're a bigger Toy Story three fan, then yeah, it's a. I wouldn't say it's like a middle finger to Toy Story 3, but... <laughs> I, I just feel like Toy Story 3's greatest strength was the way they brought it all together for the ending. Um, and, but but, the, but the, the thesis of that, the message of the movie was, uh, it doesn't matter uh, what happens to us as long as we're together. And then this one is like, well, I'm going to quit the group. I'm quitting the band. It, 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 it makes me not want to watch Toy Story 3 again, which is a shame because I had just rewatched it this year and, and enjoyed it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. I get, maybe we'll we'll figure this out in Toy Story Five when Woody's like, "No, I should be a part of this." <laughs> Gotta find him again. Toy Apocalypse. Also, dude, Forky is in this. Forky is really great. Forky's uh, pretty great. I hope Forky wins the Oscar. What What was Keanu Reeves' character's name again? It's like Duke Kaboom. Duke Kaboom. I was gonna say Action Duke. Uh, yeah, he's great too, and is uh, yeah. It's pretty. And it's that, pretty good. That great recurring bit where Key and Peel are the stuffed animals, and they talk about how they're gonna. What are they gonna do? They're like gonna. They're just gonna like attack people. Attack some. Yeah, it's freaky. That's great. It's a good gag. It's nice to see Key and Peel together again. They probably didn't record their lines together, but yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't talk about us yet. I have to talk about one other movie first, and that's Uncut Gems. Uh, which is a 
heart attack waiting to happen. Everyone talks. I feel like everyone just talks about how stressful it is. I thought it was like suspenseful in like a fun way. Like I was like, yeah, yeah, throw more shit into the mix. <laughs> like there's always something going on in this movie. I didn't. I didn't get stressful. Wasn't the feeling I had. I think it's because I was like, this is definitely gonna end bad. Like so, I'm already. I already have that in my mind that. Granted, this movie does a good job of right near the end. I'm like, well, maybe it won't turn out bad. <laughs> but throughout most of the movie, I'm like, this he's digging himself a deeper and deeper hole. You know, like, I knew things were going to get real bad when he, like, he traded the gem to Kevin Garnett and then, like, took his championship ring and then immediately went to the pawn shop and yeah. gave him the championship ring. Like, oh, my God, what are you doing? He's out of control. I think part of it is seeing it in the theater, um, the, the, the way the sound system or, or the dynamic range of the of the mix of the movie um, was played out. Like the scenes where he's in clubs, I could not like really even understand what he was saying. The music was so loud. It's... I mean, that's that's just the movie. Like that the opening of the movie, like when he's walking into his shop the first time, the score is like really loud, <laughs> and it's 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 a weird score too. It's a really busy like synth score. I'm pretty into it. Uh, yeah, there's definitely like a lot to look at and a lot to listen to. So, um, I, yeah, I guess I can see how it's overwhelming. So, yeah, I guess I guess I get the stressful thing a little bit. <laughs> there were uh, an elderly couple that sat next to Colin and I when we saw this, and they just got up and left maybe 45 minutes into the movie. Which was funny, and then they came back at the end of the movie because they had like left something, and so they were like searching in the theater. Yeah, it seemed like they weren't enjoying it at all and so when they left i was like thank god (laughs) this movie did pretty well at the box office but i feel like it had a pretty low cinema score which those are totally bullshit and the stupidest things ever but yeah it it seemed like a lot of people went into this thinking it was going to be a different movie i guess because it had adam sandler Mm -hmm. uh because this is not really what he usually yeah, does. Yeah, and, and and on the surface, like you, it, it might be hard to tell for the average because 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 you see still wearing like a ton of uh, uh, he's got a fake beard, he's got the glasses. Like it looks like an Adam Sandler character. Yeah, it's like so Zohan. Could be a funny character. character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, this is like a uh, a bad man. This is a greedy man <laughs> who makes bad decisions and screws over everybody. And there's a lot of f bombs. Apparently, I, I I didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. I, I made that like top ten list of most f bombs in a movie, <laughs> which blew my mind. Uh, but I have to give such props to Adam Sandler for taking this role because it's not a very. First of all, it's a very intensive role. He's in like every scene. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of dialogue. He's got to do a lot in this movie. He's got to mm-hmm. get naked. He's got to get beat up. And it's not a glamorous role. Like he's not cool at all in this movie. He's a total loser. <laughs> And I feel like he's not being... Uh, I mean, obviously everybody like loves his performance, but he's not getting any awards for it. And I know none of that matters, but it's just such bullshit. Like, it he's actually, to him. Yeah, it does matter to him because he's making that joke like, oh, I'm going to make up the worst movie I've ever made if I don't win the Oscar. <laughs> and then he didn't even get nominated, so we're going to feel his wrath, I guess, Grown Ups 3 or some bullshit. Um, I did see him like tweet after the Oscar nominations came out, and... He was like making some. He seemed like he took it pretty well, and he's like making some like. I feel like he made a Waterboy joke, and then like gave props to Kathy Bates, who played his mom in Waterboy, because she did get a nomination. And then Kathy Bates tweeted back in character to Adam Sandler. 
So nice getting some. Maybe that'll be the worst movie that he makes. Waterboy two. Maybe that's what we're gonna get. What was Kathy Bates in this year? Richard, Richard Jewell. Dick Jewell. Uh, fucking Richard. Did that get nominated for Best Picture? Do you have to see Richard Jewell? No, it only got nominated for Supporting Actress. Okay. Yeah, that's so funny. Richard Jewell, Uncut Gems, came out at the same time. I saw so many trailers for Richard Jewell, you guys. I thought that trailer was good too. I liked it. I like the trailer. I haven't seen the movie, but I like the trailer. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Uncut Gems, love it. Uh, it's cool that it has Kevin Garnett and The Weeknd in it and stuff like that. There's just I could just there's so many scenes. I, I just want to start talking about scenes, but I can't. I can't just drag it just down talking about scenes. What do you guys think is the most uh, stressful part of the movie? Because I can tell you what for, I, what what it is for me. I like again. I see as more suspenseful, but seeing how it, as it turns out, I can see how it's stre- it is stressful. Is the um, the auction scene where, uh, uh, what's his face? You know, Gooey. <laughs> what's his name? What's the actor's name? Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch. When he's yeah. like, he has to bid, but he can't <laughs> win. He's just trying to drive up the price. Mm-hmm, yeah. But then he does win. Yeah, yeah exactly what's like, going to happen. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, though. And also the part right before that when he's trying to bluff the receptionist that he's talked to her uh, boss and she's like, well, I'll just call her. And, he's, and he yeah, tries to like yeah. fake the call in front of the receptionist. Uh, oh my God. I'm getting stressed out just thinking about what scenes were <laughs> stressful in this movie. Um, another pretty stressful movie and the last one we're talking about is Us. Um, Jordan Peele's sophomore movie. Um it's a it's a pretty freaky concept, right? There's another family that's just you but evil, and they have scissors. Especially with that end too, where like I think everyone's seen it, where they switch places. I think a lot of people saw that coming, but just thinking about that, thinking about that someone got switched with their doppelganger and then grew up their whole life living with these people that just go, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. that's some freaky ass shit, man. And I know this movie was criticized for. Like the pieces don't quite fit if you really want to try to lay out the logistics of everything. But I gotta give props to just trying that concept and, and going ambitious with it. And I don't know, it's tough because on one hand, I think the they made the right decision by not explaining it. But then there is kind of like an exposition dump near the end of the movie with Lupita Nyong'o at the chalkboard. It, it was hard to know what how like how much of this movie's hand it needed to show but i mean that all aside i gotta give it points for 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 attempting some some big ideas yeah. like only so many people try that and are this successful with trying something uh big like that do you guys have problems with the uh with the concept and the story not really i, I feel like it didn't like spend uh, an enormous amount of time trying to flesh out and, and justify the mythology so it didn't really bother me and like everything about it had been so sort of <laughs> thrilling before that that expositional scene that it, i i didn't really mind i yeah this was one i kind of wished i had been able to fit into my top 10 or or just any of <laughs> The, the three sophomore horror movies uh, that came out this year. Yeah, I liked so them that's... all a lot. I think this would have been the most likely one to make my top ten. It probably was 
at like nine or ten at some point, but I just kept seeing more movies <laughs> towards the end of the year that I liked a lot, so it it, it got bumped. And uh, and what was your favorite of the three? Of the of the sophomore trio, John. Me, it was us. Um, it's definitely the most commercial of the three, but it is still actually isn't isn't Lighthouse higher on your list though? Oh yeah, it is. For, for well, going with the math. <laughs> mm. It's I mean, tough because I'm like, am I judging it a horror as a, movie or is a yeah, movie? I was going to say. I don't know. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know. Uh. You've given me a lot to think about. I guess, yeah. Mm. See, now I don't know. I think for me it would be The Lighthouse of those three. I, I, I gave The Lighthouse an honorable mention. I didn't do that for the other two. Uh, I liked them both. Uh, I wish I could have bucked the trend and, and been the one to really like Midsummer, but I think I liked Midsummer the least of the three of us. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, us... I don't know. I, I'm, when I think of us now, I just think about the fact that I dressed up as Tethered Sean for Halloween and nobody <laughs> knew what I was doing. Because I thought it was a huge hit. I don't know what... I guess I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, so the thought that I was uh, trying to go for with before I realized that I do not know which movie I like the best. <laughs> um, like this, I think, yeah, us is definitely feels like the more blockbustery of the three but i actually think if you kind of break it down it probably has the most uh ambitious concept like it's definitely the most i think unique movie or at least the most original movie of the three it's the hardest one to explain it's the hardest one to explain sure <laughs> and like it is still pretty uh like from a visual standpoint pretty like creative like i love the opening shot of this movie where um it's the the close-up of the rabbit and then you zoom out and there's a wall of rabbits in cages and it's got like this really creepy like song with like children singing along to it like that's some pretty weird shit you're not going to see that in your average horror movie blockbuster Mm -hmm. like this movie has some beautiful cinematography and yeah you know this one just leaves me so fucking uncomfortable (laughs) more so than like i think get out is definitely a better movie but this, I walk away from this movie feeling more disturbed. I think that's because Get Out sort of has the happy ending, which I'm glad it does. And this has more of kind of like, oh, now what do we do kind of ending. It's like kind of happy, but not quite, because the mom switched places, and the tethered have that weird chain. Like, what's going to happen with that? Where's I don't that know. <laughs> so yeah, whether or not I like it more than The Lighthouse or less or, or whatever, like, this is... Uh, quite the accomplishment it's nice to see um an original concept do well at the box office that's just a new thing that's not an adaptation of something like that has to be a rarity in this day and age so it's cool that that's that's happening and i hope that continues to happen with um future jordan peele projects uh he does have a a movie he's writing or co-wrote from next year that I'm pretty excited about. And I think we'll learn more about that on my most anticipated Yeah, for that next week. But before we get to next week, we have to finish this podcast, which means we have to pick our top 10. So right now, I've narrowed the list down to 13. Of those, six were only on one person's list. So I thought maybe it would be helpful if I just run through those. Um, Sure. 
to pick the last three that we eliminate. So that would be The Farewell, The Lighthouse, Little Women, Midsummer, Toy Story 4, and Us. Um, the ones that I'm considering safe right now, but maybe they're not safe. Maybe we need to get bumped. Our Avengers Endgame, The Irishman, Knives Out, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, and Uncut Gems. Uh, that sounds fine for safe. Yeah. Okay, so that that those are, we have seven safe ones then. So we need to <laughs> pick three to eliminate or three that we want to bring over. Whatever, however you prefer to think about it. Uh, I think we can eliminate Toy Story four because it was my number ten. Okay, so yeah. Barely. On I think list. everyone's number ten has been eliminated now. Yeah. And Midsummer because it's uh, my number nine, and also it's really not comfortable experience. Okay. At all. Okay. <laughs> so we're down to one more cut, and then we can make a list. So just to run through those again, it's the farewell, the lighthouse, Little Women, and us. Um, I get. I guess going by my list and not by what I said like five minutes ago, <laughs> it's got to be the lighthouse over us. Okay, um, so probably us. You kind I guess I'm just trying to think what what the rankings were because I know like Little Women's super high for Colin. I think the farewell was my number five. Yeah, it was. So that's not like one. super high on my list. It's pretty high though. Top five. Okay, so I guess what I'm saying is I think Little Women is safe. Okay. So that's the farewell, the lighthouse, or us. I really like us too. I could lose the farewell. I guess. I mean, you guys both took it off your list. Gave it an honorable mention. As but did I. I. I also did that for the lighthouse and us. Oh, I thought we already cut uh, us, didn't we? You want to? Okay. I mean, you don't even want to talk about it, right, Sean? Because no one understood your Halloween. No one understood costume. my Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it, I, us will definitely be remembered as an iconic. Like, what were movies like in 2019 specifically? That one year. Check out Us. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more memorable movies of the year. And maybe the most memorable movie that wasn't based on a pre-existing property. Uh, Hands Across America existed. <laughs> it's, it's true, it's an adaptation of... Such a rip-off. Hands Across, Across America. America. <laughs> Alright, so we have the ten movies. We just had to put them in an order. Uh well it's got to be the ones then now we have to go if we're going by the the, the numbers we got to start thinking about the ones that are on one list or you know. for the bottom okay so that brings back the farewell and the lighthouse right everything else is on it oh and Little Women and Little Women everything else is on at least two lists so the lighthouse did it get an honorable mention from you too Colin yes okay but, so the lighthouse but... got I kind of lumped those three horror movies together. Okay, so, so maybe it's not as meaningful. I'm know. just trying to. I'm just trying to do this with math. So, Lighthouse yeah. got listed by one of us and honorable mention by the other two. 
their farewell got listed by one of us and it was also honorable mentioned by the other two mm-hmm. yes ah, so that doesn't really help but slightly wait i think they were both your number fives wow oh, that no. makes it real hard <laughs> it's a virtual tie okay can i say can i say little women is number eight though because colin you talked about it like it was basically your number one for a while it was your number one, right? No. No, it was the Irish. I think it, was your number one? I think it could have been my number one if I had seen it a second time, but it's my number three. Uh, number two is Irishman, yeah. Number eight's fine with me. I could, I could even put it in nine or ten if I had to. That's not helpful. That looks good. Yeah, let's do The Farewell at ten, The Lighthouse at nine, Little Women at eight. Sounds good. Uh, boy, 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 boy. I mean, I had all these remaining movies on my list. I know exactly what order they go in. Knives Out and um, Irishman were not on my list. Knives Out and Irishman weren't on your list. Were all the other ones on everyone's list? Because that makes it mm, so Avengers easy. wasn't on mine. Avengers wasn't on yours. Okay, so so we know how high the Avengers goes. Um, do we like Knives Out more than the Irishman? Do you? <laughs> you do you I, probably know my answer. I think I like Knives Out more than The Irish. I'm just going to check my rankings again. I put The Irishman at 8 and Knives Out at 7. So I like them very close. Uh, so I guess we'll give it to Colin because Colin ranked The Irishman much higher. So that would I think that makes... I'm really getting his way on this list. I love I think getting that, my way. <laughs> I think that makes uh, Knives Out 7, Irishman 6, and uh, Avengers 5. Hell yeah. It was like your, it was your one, Sean, right? It was my three. Yeah. Or, no, it was somewhere on my list. <laughs> I have no idea. It did, it did really good, I think, for being... I'm Not sure movie, something really. Colin's like, it's fine. It's good. It's just yeah, not a movie. <laughs> you know, you can watch real movies. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't even beat it like that. I beat it just like it's like if you showed Avengers to someone who hadn't seen any Marvel movies, it would be incomprehensible. Incomprehensible, but like awesome. like as a finale to a twenty-two long movie series, it's pretty pretty great. But uh, I don't know. It's good. Yeah, I mean the the question of context is it. always bizarre. She's like, yeah, if you showed someone who'd never seen a movie before, um, the Nutty Professor, they would think it was the greatest movie ever made because oh they have no so reference. How do you guys feel about the dream sequence where um, Sherman? That's his name, right? Sherman. Sherman <laughs> Clump uh, is gigantic because he's so. Uh, he just feels like not comfortable with his weight, and he has the dream where he's in the sweatsuit, and he's like a hundred feet tall, and he's like everyone's like ah, and he's like he can't stop. Him. Isn't that a great scene? You guys remember that dream sequence? Yeah, Night I do. Do you ever see Night Professor Two, the cl- uh, the clumps? No, that movie is bizarre. So you got two plot lines. One where the clumps like are like they're like they keep getting younger, but then also like. Sherman's losing his intelligence. Really? It's like there's like a potion. He's like becoming dumb. And there's like a scene where he's like talking to Janet Jackson. He's like, oh, pretty lady. It's like so. It's like heartbreaking. Sherman's becoming so stupid. Yeah, his brains are all he's got. 
my second little pick is uh, Night Professor 2, The Clumps. <laughs> I watched it on Fox, like when they used to show movies on Saturday nights. Good old days. Good old days. Let's get back to the good old days. Um, what do you guys think our number four should be? Maybe oh. Uncut Gems. Maybe Marriage Story. <laughs> Maybe Parasite. Uh, okay. I guess what I'm saying is I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is number one, but I could be wrong. I'm totally okay with that being our number one. Yeah. Because it did make all our lists, and it was in the top five of all our lists. And it was even number one for John, so I feel like the math is there. It's the numbers don't math. lie. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that makes it easy, so we just need to figure out two, three, four. Um, uh, par- two, Parasite 2, right? So that's pretty high on everyone's list, right? I would yeah. love to put Parasite at number Marriage two. Marriage Story 3. Sounds good. Uncut Gems 4. So Uncut Gems was pretty high on my list, but I don't think it was as high as on everyone else's list. I think it was my number six. Yeah, it was like my number nine, I think. Is my two. It's really good though. Yeah. So there, I, I, this has probably been hard to follow if you haven't been looking at the spreadsheet. So I will tell you mildlyplease.com's top ten movies of 2019. Number ten is The Farewell. Number nine, The Lighthouse. Number eight, Little Women. Number seven, Knives Out. Number six, The Irishman. Number five, uh, Avengers: Endgame. Number four, Uncut Gems. Number three, Marriage Story. Number two, Parasite. And number one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It already had the number one implied in its title. We didn't even have to do the whole podcast. It was right there, guys. Well, that wraps up our coverage of 2019. Uh, We only did the one top ten podcast this year. Uh, but you guys also got the Mildly Pleased Awards. And you can definitely go over to mildlypleased.com uh, to check out our top 10 lists of albums, TV shows, and uh, video games, as well as the, the movies that we've been referring to. Uh, next week, we've got our anticipated movies of 2019. Then we're going to take a little break. You mean 2020. Oh, yeah. God. I've been talking about 2019 so much. I forgot what year it was. Yes. I forgot what decade it was, um, and then we and then we've got uh, our best of the decade list coming up after that too. So, plenty of content over at mildlyplease.com. Plenty of stuff for you to listen to if you subscribe to Mildly Please on iTunes or wherever else you like to listen to podcasts. So just stay tuned, and we'll speak to you next time. my hand in yours walk with me this day